Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks and streamers, but never produced, and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. We've got a rare live show coming up in January 2024. It's going to be a good one. The show is Sunday, January 21st from 3 to 5. We're going to be doing a script by Open Mike Eagle and Mike Benner and a script by Tommy Jonigan. Casts are still coming together. These are really good scripts. It's going to be a great show. Go to Elysian Theater, E-L-Y-S-I-A-N, theater with an er, not a re, dot com. ElysianTheater.com for tickets. Sunday, January 21st. 3 o'clock at the Elysian Theater. This is the after show for Fulfillment, featuring my interview with Vali Chandrasekharan. Vali is such a respected veteran comedy writer. You'll hear the crazy story of him getting his first writing gig on My Name is Earl. He went from there to 30 Rock and from there to Modern Family. He talks about creating a show with Chris Lloyd from Modern Family that was uh, starring Kelsey Grammer and Alec Baldwin. It somehow did not make it to TV, um, but there's uh, some really good stories about writing that and advice about multi-camera uh, sitcom writing that he got from Chris Lloyd. You know, we get into some some writing nuts and bolts here. I loved hearing about Volley's approach to writing pilots. It's some of the best advice you'll hear. Writers, you, you, you don't want to miss this one. Here is my conversation with Vali Chandrasekharan. When we did this read, it was September, you know, do you remember? It was like right before the strike ended. Yeah. You know? And we were just like all on pins and needles and strikers. And now we're talking and you're like back at work. Strike's over. You're, you're, you're working on what? What are you doing? It's so thrilling. I am working. Uh, my friends, Craig D. Gregorio is working with Aaron Foster who is a writer and podcaster and all around personality. She has a clothing line, like it's very, a very cool person, but she created the show that's currently titled Shiksa, but I think is being changed, but it's very funny. And I just joined them today. Actually, this is my first day here. I'm in an office that has none of my personal effects in it. Um, but I'm superstitious about that anyway. So that would, even if I were here for a few months, I no, think I'd probably... no veteran writer ever decorates an office. Yeah. I think typically it's been a couple seasons before I've done anything. And I would just, I used to just leave my printed scripts on the floor, which we don't even really do as much anymore. And I would track the progress of the season based on how high that <laughs> yeah. paper was compared to previous years. And then around season four, I'd be like, okay, I think I'll bring a book it. <laughs> right. Not a not not artwork, nothing for the walls, but like, yeah, I could I could have a book. I could have a photo. There's no hammering in into the wall will annoy the star who's visiting one time. <laughs> and right. right. Well, you do look like you're in witness protection in this uh in this office that you're in right now, but you know, it's uh it's day one. You can't it's Hollywood, baby. Yeah, well, that's awesome. I mean, working on a show. In this in this day and age, it's uh it's incredible. <laughs> it's very exciting. I mean, that was part of the fun. I was talking about the read we did with the actors all afterwards, and I've and I've seen some of them, you know, just around since and because it happened during the strike, and our strike ended, I think, that day, the writer's strike. And the actors went were on strike for a lot longer. I mean, they officially ratified their contract last week. 
and it just was so fun to be making something and recording something when we did the read and it's similarly coming here today just seeing the snacks <laughs> and, and the tv screen it's just fun to remember right we came here because we all like making stuff and we like sitting around and trying to make people laugh i know it's about i mean I, I hopefully it won't get like a lot harder to get actors now that the the strike is over but yeah certainly during the strike it was like we're the only game in town i mean i guess there's like yeah you can do theater but you know that's a commitment and like this is just like you know actors want to act and uh we're like here come come and act and like all sorts of i mean the cast that you know you helped us put together for for this read was insane it's like it was, incredible it was insane i couldn't believe it you guys pointed out no network would ever afford it you would not yeah. be able to put that cast together yeah it's like you would get those you know you get a, a couple of them and they'd be like sorry we're, we're you yeah. know the rest of these have to be like brand new people that no one's ever heard of because we've used our whole budget yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and some of them uh, hopefully would have been ended up being great. And that's how we get to know them. But yeah, you know, it's like a bunch of people you all know already is wild. That never happens. I know it, it's I'm just like looking at this list and it's just like, wow, that was just like crazy, crazy cast. Um, well, I want to talk. Uh, I definitely want to talk about fulfillment, but I'm realizing just because like you're someone who, you know, I've heard your name for years and years. We've got so many friends in common or whatever, but we never really got a chance to talk until like pick a line. So I don't really know how like your backstory and like, you know, uh, like I see your first credit seems to be my name is Earl, which is like an amazing show to be like if that was actually your first show. Like, how did this all happen for you? I so I have wanted to be a comedy writer my whole life like even when I was a kid I just loved David Letterman I loved Conan O'Brien I was obsessed with those shows and I remember when I graduated from high school in 1999 there were at that point the internet was not big and I remember going to the guidance counselor's office and like reading one of those books about um, colleges and things like that. And I remember in one of the listings, it said like a lot of the writers from David Letterman, you know, started out here. And that was the first moment it ever occurred to me that Dave didn't just sit behind that desk and in real time come up <laughs> with like all the comments and jokes he was doing and monologue jokes. Like I thought these, this is the funniest person in the world and he just does it all himself. He's funny. And like, he brings in, he probably watches the movies and stuff like that. <laughs> and some maybe would like shoot the bits that he did, but I didn't know being a comedy writer was something that you could do. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. So after college, I moved out to LA, but to wanting to become a comedy writer. And I, I didn't know if I could make it. So I got a job working at this consulting company called Boston Consulting Group. And we did something called strategy consulting, which I'm not even still totally certain what that means, but we would advise companies on decisions that they might not need to think about otherwise. So it wasn't worth having an in-house person to sit to say like, you should think about this problem in this way because they do it once or twice a year. They would just come to us. And I remember the case I was working on is a sort of small medical devices company in the Bay Area was trying to enter the colonoscopy market. And they came to us and they said, 
what do we do? Like we make medical devices, but should we like build our own colonoscope? Should we buy another company that already makes colonoscopes? Should we do a like a limited partnership with somebody? And what in what way do the finances make sense and like our time to market? How much money would we leave on the table? And my boss turned to me and said, like, Vali, figure out how many colonoscopies are going to happen in the United States and in the EU over the next 10 years. So I just like made up a spreadsheet <laughs> with like <laughs> the growth of colonoscopies. And I was doing it. And that was an interesting case because I was talking to doctors and reading medical papers. And that's not my background. I studied computer science. And I was remember being in the, this windowless conference room in San Diego and I got a call from my friend's agent because I really didn't like this job. And when I didn't have to work, I would write spec scripts. And I wrote a two and a half men spec script and I sent it out and nobody responded to me. And I really was not enjoying being by myself <laughs> in this conference room every day. And I think I sent a follow-up email saying like, did anybody read this? Like, is it any good at all? And it just so happened that my friend's agent had read it and liked it and happened to have staffed all his other clients that year. Um, and this was at a time when upfronts mattered a lot. So like this was a period where for people who don't know, all of the networks would announce their fall schedule in New York City in front of advertisers. And that's how writers would find out what shows are on the air and what jobs are available for that year. And it was two weeks after upfronts and this agent had staffed all of his writers and he said like let me see if i can get this guy a job and he had me meet with greg garcia who created my name is earl and i was coming back from san diego and i think i told my boss at the time i had a doctor's appointment and i had to meet with a couple people at my name is earl and at the studio which was 20th century fox and the network nbc and i kept coming down and my boss was like you're 23 are you dying like who has any <laughs> doctor's appointments but it ended up working out and I got the job and Greg was an amazing boss. And my first job ended up going for four years, which never happens. Like, you know, I'm sure lots of people have come on the show and like you finally get your break and it's a great show and has great actors in it. And for some reason it didn't get at that time, like the 80 million viewers it required <laughs> to stay on the air. It only got like 65 million viewers and you do nine episodes and that's the end of your year. And you have to wait a whole calendar year at that time until next year's upfronts. But I was really fortunate that 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 show worked. And it was a lot of people who had never worked with each other before, but we were all connected in that we grew up in small towns. And there were people like Kat Lickle and John Hoberg, who I know have done this podcast before, and Danielle Sanchez-Witzel and Hillary Winston and Victor Fresco and my like all these great writers basically took me under their wing inadvertently because we were all just working there together and they taught me how to be a TV writer. They taught me what the job was and it was so fun and so fantastic. And to this day, like if I have any questions or like I'm thinking about doing something, I call Greg, I call Danielle, I call like all these people. I got to see them a lot during the strike uh, in a way that was fun too, <laughs> to, be, to be miserable together. But that was my first job. That's a that's an unbelievable story that you just like that the agent sort of like hip pocketed you and got you a job on a show that ran for for four years. That's incredible. That's wild. So crazy. Yeah. I mean, and it was a fun show. And I keep thinking I tell my friends like if it was the previous year, 
the show everyone wanted to get on, which was a great script and a great cast, was Joey. But that <laughs> ended like it ended fast. Like everyone thinks, like, oh, you know when it's gonna work out. Oh God, you no one ever know. knows. I mean, the hot show is like you know, it's it's never what people think it's going to be. But I mean, so you yeah. must have like a that that spec must have been really great and be like your meeting must have been i mean were you 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 had the colonoscopy story i assume you like had to break break that out that's a good one um but i mean that must have been a great meeting for him to like take that shot uh, you know you know someone told gave me a a great piece of advice because as i think i was preparing to meet with greg and i was meeting with people at the studio there was an executive at nbc at that time or 20th at the time i think her name was amy hartwick and I didn't know what to do. Like I would come in in slacks and a button down shirt. And my agents actually called me and said like, you have to dress like a writer. Like, <laughs> you you know, gotta be a slob. It's a little bit weird. Like you look like you're an accountant and no one's gonna take you seriously. But when I was meeting with her and I asked, I was asking her what Greg was like and whether what, whether I should come in with pitches or something. And she said, I think he would appreciate it if you came in with pitches. So then I... I came, I went home and I read the pilot and I thought about the characters and my small town life and people I knew. And I came into that meeting and I tried, I came up with some ideas that I pitched him and someone else had told me sort of at, with that is your job, you're a, a showrunner on a first year show has so much to do that like they would love to help you develop as a writer but they, they don't have the time to do that. Maybe later, like your job is to make Greg's life easier. Do everything you can to try and make his life easier. So if you have any ideas or any jokes, like the jokes come from your spec, that sensibility, it's hard to like be really funny in a meeting when you're a new writer. I found I'm not that type of personality, but I pitched some stories to him that I thought would be funny. And he, I found out later that he went back to the room and he pitched it to the room and they liked it and they ended up making it one of the episodes and he decided to hire me because of that. Like I just did pitch there and I never would have come in with ideas otherwise, but now having been on the other side of it, I'm so appreciative when people come in and they've thought about the show and you sit there and you think, Oh my God, this is, this person is going to make not only my life easier, but it's going to be fun in the room like you know sometimes you're in i'm sure you've had this where you're like this person is making everybody funnier this person is so right. funny and i'm funnier and everyone else is funnier when they're around and it, those people with those magic personalities are so great to be around they're so no, that's that's what you're always who you're always hoping walks into the room like when you're staffing a show is those people and and the, and it's right i mean the good thing about people coming and pitching ideas is it could also work in the other way like okay this person does not get what it's very clear now that this person doesn't really get the show or what we're, you know, what we're <laughs> yeah. doing it can it can work in both ways but yeah someone who's like an actual idea that could become a story which is the most valuable thing <laughs> you know um <laughs> someone comes into a room with that like yeah, that person's going to get hired. So great. And there's the, and people who are good at that are so legendary. Like your your rooms, I know names of people from, from friends that I've never set eyes on. I don't <laughs> even know if I would recognize them if I saw them, but I know the bits that they do they did in the room because <laughs> they have sort of like traveled out through time. Well, you then, because you then worked, if you went from My Name is Earl to 30 Rock, right? So, yes. so, and you've got Robert Carlock who had like weird total recall for everything that ever happened in that friend's room. Like, because I would watch 30 Rock and I'm like, oh my God, I remember the bit that this is based on and I can't believe like 
Robert? Like, was he taking notes? Like he remembered everything from that friend's room and made use of so much of it on 30 Rock. It was crazy. So I'm sure you heard, you must have heard Carlock telling stories from that friend's room. Absolutely. He he was the first person I knew who was in that room who would tell tell room bits and stories from there. And I mean, 30 Rock was a show that was so dense with comedy. Like Tina, Tina knew when it had the emotion it had to breathe, but like she also know, knew when we could get away with just making it The Simpsons. And so like there was a lot of room to pack one more joke in. <laughs> so like if Robert, if Robert had trouble he i'm sure being forced to think about that room like kind of illuminated stuff in in the corners of his brain to bring back <laughs> um so wait so how did that so so my name is earl you were there the whole time right it was just four four season run of that yes. show um and then 30 rock i mean that's a show in new york and you had like so how, tell me about about that happening so I I loved 30 Rock as a fan when I was on My Name is Earl. I remember watching every single episode of it. And I remember the moment in season one, there was this Pee Wee Herman episode. Paul Rubens played this character where he was an Austrian prince that is so inbred that he like barely can function, but Jenna fell in love with him. And like, in basically she wanted to be a princess. And I remember watching the show and thinking like, I can't believe they're getting to do this. This is so much fun. I really want to do it. And then, but I was on Earl and having a blast. And then when Earl ended, I really, really wanted to get on 30 Rocks. So I, I submitted a script to them and I first met with Robert and that meeting was good. And I never met Robert before. And I got a call a couple weeks, a couple days later that that meeting went well. And that I have to meet uh, Tina now. And this was after, so 30 Rock had won the Emmy three years in a row. And the Sarah Palin thing had happened. And Tina had already done um, Saturday, you know, weekend update. So Tina, Tina was like, I, I, I idol of mine. She was so funny and so good at those jobs. I remember going in being so nervous to meet her. And on top of that, I had to do the meeting again. Robert was also in the meeting. So like everything I had pretended I had come up with organically in the course of our conversation <laughs> as like a funny story, Robert had already heard. So I had to now do it in front of a person I like idolized so much I was scared of and then had to like I don't know, like come up with new, <laughs> new casual material <laughs> for the meeting, but um, it was still fun. And Tina's one of those people who's so good and so great. And then anyone, she is so skilled that I, and Robert as well, but like, they're both so great that everyone is their best selves in that room for them. After the show left, ended, I remember telling them, it reminded me of, a workout that my track coach would make us do in high school. And I'm not sure there's any value to this, but we, he would tie to, he would connect two runners together with bungee cords and the first runner would take off. And then like three seconds later, he would have the second runner go and the bungee cord from the first runner would kind of like pull you forward. And the coach said that the purpose of this workout was to make you your muscles know what it felt like to run a little faster so you could like create new muscle memory. Now, I don't think that actually makes sense, <laughs> but 
<laughs> but in the context of 30 Rock, being there and watching Robert and Tina work, it made you realize like how much faster your brain and, and better your brain can work. Like the show was so good, I thought. Uh, and so unlike anything else, like it made it, I think, trained us all to like see like how funny you individually could be <laughs> try and try and earn your place in that room yeah what an amazing show and like it must have been so fun i know the hours were a bit crazy but uh it just had to have been so much fun writing that show it was so fun and i was young i was in my you know mid-20s so that i just thought like who cares <laughs> right you could just pick up and move to new york and that wasn't a big deal right you weren't like you're you're not married at this point. i was not married right? i think i got engaged I got in. I was get. I just gotten engaged when I got the call, telling me that I had gotten tired. I think the next day. So my I, my life was very flexible, and everyone was so funny. There was an element of, well, what else would you be doing? What else would you yeah. want to be doing? <laughs> in fact, on nights where we ended up not working late, we would leave and we would just end up going to dinner together we were with each other all the time yeah that's kind of what the friends room was like it was just like yeah we're there crazy hours but the, the, you know if we weren't we would still hang out like it was just you might as well be at work all those hours because these are the people you're going to be hanging out with any anyway and there's no one funnier and so yeah i i that it's amazing to have that experience like that's just you know i'm jealous one thing i was always jealous of the friends staff was you guys got to have a tape night to like yeah. to go see the electricity of that cast working together and watch the audience connect to the material live must have been so thrilling it's the most i'm pretty convinced it's the most fun thing in show business is working on like is is tape night of a multicam a good multicam now not you know it's not the same when it's not very good but like there's nothing more fun and exciting than that and it's sad that it's sort of like a form that has been slowly like dying out ever since because it's just like there it, you're right there's something about and you know again that cast and the way the audience responded you know like you had the Beatles like kind of coming out every night and people just going insane it, you know yeah it was fun so you've never really you've never done a multicam am I wrong about that or have you done I did a multicam uh pilot for a little bit so I but my name is Rolls, my first job and that would kind of like ushered in a wave of single camera shows yeah. um and they stopped making as many multicams and I just I'm fortunate that my the shows I've been on have been run a long time. But then I did uh, I worked on Modern Family after Thirty Rock, and the showrunner of Modern Family, Chris Lloyd, ran Frasier for many years, and Alec Baldwin and Kelsey Grammer wanted not to do a show together, and they wanted to do a multi camp together. Kelsey obviously like was is a master of the form from Cheers, and then Frasier, and loved it so much, and he's amazing, and then Alec who started in soap operas and has done so amazing such amazing work at saturday night live and will and grace really loves being in front of an audience his, his friends episodes he was incredible but you know in front of a live audience and friends when alec did those episodes yeah so i good. must have been so so nuts to watch um at that time and they had an idea and i knew alec a little bit um i knew alec from 30 rock and he he called me and he said kelsey and i have a have a show sold a show to abc and we're looking for a writer 
And I said, well, what's the show? And he said, Kelsey and I are on a show together. <laughs> and he said, and I was like, oh, so you need everything. And it, but it was a multicam. And I said, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to do that. I've never worked like this, but I think Chris Lloyd might be somebody you loved. And, and Kelsey knows him really well. And I and I knew the what the sort of jokes Alec likes doing. But I said, Modern Family's ending and Chris Lloyd will want to finish that. So I, if you guys can wait a year, um, that may be a good partnership, you guys and Chris. And then Modern Family ended and then Chris called me and talk, wanted to talk about the show. And I was just telling him kind of about Alec and what I what I I thought they might like based on my conversations. And he very kindly asked if I would like do it with him. And I said, I don't really know anything about this. And it was an, a great experience because I didn't know anything about multicam. And then Chris, who ran Frasier for years, kind of like one-on-one -on -one in a room with me, taught me what multicabs are and how they work. Cause I said to him, like, I don't understand how on cheers, they never left the bar for the first year. Like, how did they tell stories like that? And he said, like, it sounds crazy, but if you come up with big enough characters that everybody loves, when someone comes up with a plan, they want to do something, you don't have to see it. And then when they re-enter the bar and they sit at the top of the staircase, the audience can tell from their expression what happened and then they laugh and then you follow it up. And it, I, I still don't, it still blows my mind that I spent my entire life loving comedy, watching shows like that, but I never thought about it. So I didn't understand how they did it. And that, and that was, and friends kind of blew it all open too, because you guys put so much more story, like Frasier pilot had five scenes in it. How many scenes did you guys have in a friends? Oh, I mean, so many, because you had, always had three storylines and you figure each of those stories has like, what, minimum six beats, right? I mean, so, you know, you've got, I mean, you've got minimum like 18 scenes, but probably more than, more than that. Um, and many of those scenes had multiple stories in them, right? Because they yeah. would come in and like... Right, because you do have that thing. I mean, it, it's like, it's tell, don't show often which is such a weird thing to, to th like it goes against everything you've been told you like no you got to show this thing like no sometimes it's just like hearing the characters just talking about what happened off screen is better because we actually don't really you know need you don't always need to see it cheers certainly did that even more than we did but sometimes it was just like you'd get the beginning of a scene but you wouldn't really see it and what you're really waiting for is like the friends to be in central perk telling each other about what happened rather than you showing the audience what happened um so yeah he's i mean that's what he's saying it's like telling tell, telling is what is what works at a multi-cap what would did, did he have other that's such a good like you know that's such good advice were, were there other little nuggets like that that you remember when he was like explaining about how to do multi-camps i mean that that was the biggest one that kind of blew my mind and then he also said like with these two actors that are so great like let's try and do set it up so that it feels like two lions that can trade off circling each other <laughs> that like what that's what he, he was like i think that's what the audience wants from these guys and that's what will be fun for it to like for one to never know who would be in control of the scene when the two of them are there together and this is something i never really thought thought about explicitly before I started writing, but is 
makes sense now that you're mentioning that about multicam, which is what we really always, almost always want is to just watch our main cast talking to each other. So even if that's, we love these people. So even if they went to go, we went to show something, but it's just one of the members of the cast, it's less fun than the other person hearing about it with them. Because we just love these relationships so much. And it, it both seems antithetical, but then this other thing, this other rule, which is put your cast that you love in scenes with each other is the most important thing. Put them in scenes together and give them attitudes. And, yeah. and then you're done. If they like, it, it, they all have an attitude and the attitudes are different, you know, then you're, then you're, you're golden. You're fine. Totally. Th- th- this person thinks you should do X and this person thinks you shouldn't. <laughs> scene writes itself you know it's just like they've got an attitude we know the dynamics you, you know attitude plus dynamics dynamics should be built in you know the characters and then some people just have to have different attitudes and let them talk about it well i mean what was the what was the premise of the show that you guys came up with for like what, what were the characters they were playing the character the premise was basically it was a five scene multicam and the last act was one long scene and the premise was that it was Alec and Kelsey and a third actor named Alec Mappa who was really funny and really fantastic and went toe to toe with these guys in a great way and they were all roommates in Soho in the 80s like when they were right after college and one of them uh, Kelsey w- wanted to become the next Philip Glass, like a, a composer, a musician, and Alec wanted to be an actor. And Alec kind of got early success when he got on a soap opera and went off. And Kelsey and him always like locked horns. And the three of them in the pilot kind of come back because there was a fourth roommate who died and they all see each other and at the beginning all of there's a lot of chest puffing about all how all three of them are doing great with each other and over the course of it we slowly realize that they're all lying like Alec has gone to jail for fraud and Kelsey never made it as a composer and no one would know because no one listens to modern classical music (laughs) he was teaching and even that is a bit of a lie because he's not really even going in there anymore and he's and he's everyone is staying at his house right now and over the course of it you realize that his wife left him and he has just been waiting for two years for her to come back and he hasn't been able to move on from that and their third roommate sort of the other shoe drops when we realize like he still lives in that same soho apartment and over the years like he's gone through a succession of roommates where he's still living with 25 year old roommates but they're now just way younger and he has to go to their improv openings and stuff like that and sort of all three of them it's golden girls (laughs) they needed to like come together and like see each other in their weakness but still love each other and try try and like tell everybody like life isn't done with us yet like we have let's try and like pull it together and and live the life that we hope to have when we were younger and they were great in it all three of them it was really fun and it was directed by Jimmy Burroughs who I know you worked with a lot of friends and I idolized and I never worked <laughs> For. like he directed everything I'd ever loved and I one of the first directors I'd ever known um I noticed their names and he lived in Florida and he came in 
to do it. And it was just, it, I, it was just one of the coolest experiences of my life to see Alex conducting, Alex. like to see Jimmy do what he does with the cameras in that way that only he does where he can just like smoothly ride them from scene to scene. I mean, it is just, it's a master of this form. Yeah. And it doesn't feel static when he does it. And it's, he's having so much fun and he's so great with the actors. And I've always been told like Jimmy works with the actors during the day and you get to come see it later. And I don't know why, but he let me just like come peer in the back and like watch what he, what he was working with them and to see how comfortable he made the actors and how they, he helped them find the characters and the lines. It was just, it was an amazing experience to watch someone that good at it. Who's done it so that much and still be working so hard to like try and crack a new show. It was rad. Yeah. He loves it still so much. It's kind of what like he'll, he gets the same and, you know, sometimes there's like jokes that he's wanting to do physical bits that are like a little bit, you've seen them many times before. He is just as amused by them. Like, you know, <laughs> the, the 50th time as he was the first time, genuinely, like he just gets excited about, you know, it's, it's pretty infectious that he just loves it still so much. Yeah. And the to love, to love the art of it is so great. And I there's shots of his. I like the the opening of the Cheers pilot. I remember to this day and I never noticed acting or yeah. I didn't notice like camera movements right. when I was a kid, but somehow he did it without, made me notice something without really showing off that this is something special. Yeah. So, to. so how did that show, like what happened? <laughs> like with that? I don't know. I mean, they it's all as always is the case with pilots like they made it um they we 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 got a season pickup and we broke we got a great room together and we broke half the season and then we shot the pilot and they you know i feel like they didn't they ended up canceling us and they i think it maybe was not the time in that year for a show about three old men like was that going to be ABC's brand? Then two of them were white. I have, but I have, I actually have no idea. I mean, people give you reasons when they don't want right. to make a show, and you know, a little bit. It's like I think you're probably lying to me to save my feelings, <laughs> and that's okay. Thank you for lying to me and <laughs> like this. But I, I can say that Alec and Kelsey and Alec Mappa were really great, and it was really fun working on the show. And I don't know had we gotten to go on tv maybe we would have flopped and the testing showed that or maybe and maybe people would have wanted to check them out i have no i have no no idea but mm. i thought i was happy with how it, it came out and i'm not always happy with how it comes out. <laughs> i mean it's such a cool experience but you know like just have been able to do that with jimmy and chris and those guys like that's what a cool thing whatever you know um yeah. So wait, so so the was journey really needs to be the destination, as we often tell ourselves. And I think it is very hard to remember yeah. in the middle of it, but yeah. yeah really that... If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I. Hmm. Oh, you're trying to put the name of the podcast there? Yeah, I'm trying to spell it, but it's tricky. Let me give it a try. Okay. If you need a laugh and you're on the go, call S-T-O-P-P-P-A-D. Ah, it'll never fit. No, it will. Let me try.
If you need a laugh and you're on the go, try S-T-O-P-P-P-D-C-O-O. Ah, we are so close. Stop podcasting yourself. A podcast from MaximumFun.org. If you need a laugh and you're on the go. So was fulfillment like, you know, coming off of that? I think when in your little quick interview before the read, you mentioned something about how you were like coming off of a pilot experience and feeling like, okay, agents bring me stuff. Cause I'm like, is that the point you were at? Yes, it was. It was right after that show got canceled and I was not expecting it to get canceled because the, the, the scripts were really funny mm-hmm. and we were having a really good time. And, but I still, you know, I still worked for the studio and I still had to come up with new shows and I didn't really know what to do. I was a little bit tapped out. And I think I I told my managers, like, I'm interested in meeting people or if there's IP, anyone who's creative, like, that you think I would like, you guys know me. I told everybody this and my managers asked if I would want to meet Zoe Deschanel. And I said, of course. And I never met her before. I was a huge fan of all her movies and the new girl. And I think she's just so skilled and talented and fantastic and funny. And we, and we also are at similar points in our lives. Like she has a kid around my kid's age and we're both married and we were talking about the pandemic and all of that stuff. And we were just chatting and and we were just having a good time. And I wasn't really saying anything about like what I wanted to write next. But at one point, as I was enjoying chatting with her, I asked her, is there any role that she's ever been jealous of? Like that she just thought like, man, I wish I had a shot to play that play that role. And she said, let me think about it, which I really love that she took the question seriously enough to do that. And then two days later, she called me and she said um, she was always was jealous of Catherine Hepburn's role in bringing up baby. And I had never seen that movie before. And I'm not I didn't really know. I've heard of Catherine Hepburn. She's like one of the most famous <laughs> actors of all time. But I wasn't sure like what that meant. So then I said that was interesting. And and and. Zoe started talking about screwball comedies and how much she loved screwball comedies and her dad loved them and she were, um, watched them growing up. And then I, I immediately bought on Amazon streaming the movie and I started watching it and it's so good. It's, it's Catherine Hepburn is so funny. She's so weird and winning. And the premise of the movie is she falls in love with this paleontologist who's about to get married (laughs) and she follows him out and bringing up baby is the title of the movie. And baby is the name of a leopard. That's a baby leopard that someone has shipped to her house. That is, she has to take care of. And the premise of them having to work together to find this leopard that she somehow let escape, which causes them to fall in love is so crazy. And it's so funny. And she stops this guy from getting his, his engagement and has her fall in love with her. The movie shouldn't work at all, but it's so fantastic. And I remember watching it and thinking like, Zoe, you would be amazing in this role. Like, and it is close to nothing you've ever done and I can still see you doing it. So based on that character, I kind of thought about like, what is what is a good place to put Zoe Deschanel playing this character who's just a force of nature of positivity that like there's nothing that can stop her. And 
I thought like I would be fun to put her someplace bleak, like that nothing can break her. And I started thinking about like, this was in the news at the time about the conditions at like warehouses where like everything that we order them on, we order on Amazon Prime, like the way it gets here so fast and it's so cheap. I remember one time like buying a chair online for like my front, like in front of our house, the patio. And it was like $30 and it came to me the next day. And I thought like, how did this happen? Like so much human <laughs> dignity must've been violated in order to pull this off. And did I really need, I don't even think I needed the chair tomorrow. Like yeah. I wanted a chair and it, I, and you would, I would read about like an Amazon fulfillment center and how hard it is there and how difficult, like people are always needing to move and what would might feel like to work at a place like this. And I thought, Oh, it's, it made me think, because at that time I was working at 20th, which was owned by News Corp. And, you know, like Rupert Murdoch was in charge of that, like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. <laughs> and I, but I went there every day and I thought, man, but this is fun. Like, how come, how come it doesn't break me that like most of us work for a giant conglomerate that does things that we might not all love? But for some reason, we have a good time at work, many of us, I, I particularly. And I started thinking about like, oh, we make sort of our community of friends there. And like someone is like a cheerleader that like has gallows humor, comes up with a wave to help us get through it. And from that idea, like I developed this character and in this workplace of like the most, tried to turn up the volume on the difficulty of it, of like, figuring out the most dehumanizing place people could really work and put Zoe playing this role in this role in there. Uh, how and how, how much research did you do? Cause it does seem like in the, like you, there was some research involved about like what actually goes on and like metrics and hitting numbers and like, how did you research the details of these fulfillment centers? So because Amazon has to hire so many people, they put out a lot of videos. Like they, these, they have distribution centers all across the nation. And especially during big times of year, like Christmas, like they need to scale up really fast. So they make videos to like that talk about what they do. And every day you can just go and sign up for a live Amazon distribution center tour. We're like a very energetic tour guide like you're at Disneyland will be like, welcome to Amazon. This is what we do. And like, it shows you the ins and outs of the whole place. And I took one of those tours and there was, it's so fascinating to me to just watch. It's all online. You don't have to go in person to just see like the amount of technology that takes, that is required in addition to all the humans to get you a box of big pens the next day for cheaper than it would be to walk to your the corner store. It's, it's insane. And then once I started researching it and that you'd always like, I'm sure you find this in your own work. Like you're always two degrees away from someone who knows a lot about that. And I found one of my sister's friends, boyfriends worked for Amazon as in the, in the office that they'd work in in fulfillment. And I just called him one day and he had actually left. And if you can find someone who's quit a job, yeah. <laughs> they're often a great source if you want to write a comedy pilot. Yeah. <laughs> and I talked to him for a couple of hours about 
what it was like day to day there. And everyone, it's so funny when you when you call as a writer, people are like, oh, sometimes people are excited to talk about stuff. And sometimes people are think it's boring. But as a writer, you're like, there's nothing too small. I want to know, like, when did you eat lunch? How did you guys eat lunch? Did you eat them at your desk? Eat it at your desk? Did you go find one patch of sunlight in a table next to the parking lot? <laughs> like any every mundane detail is so important when you're in that world building stage and character building. So it's really fun to talk to people. And it's also fun to have people realize like, oh, there's no detail too small when you're doing that research. Yeah. Because all of the book research you do is kind of technical on metrics and things like that. But that's not actually the world of a comedy show. It's it's what are what are Chandler and Joey going to say to each other, and what are their different personality types? Right. Like, what, and what's like, the texture of yeah? What's just the the tasks? Like what's the chuffa or whatever we we want to call it? Like what's what's the stuff that's going on in the scene while we're talking about the story point? But like what's the business? You know exactly. The actors yeah. are doing. And there was weird questions because I thought, oh, if this is going to be a pilot, like if. Is it going to be distracting to see, you know, goods zipping around behind people on conveyor belts? And is that hard to shoot? Like I almost needed to, I was thrilled when I found out there's an office that overlooks the warehouse that looks like an office bullpen <laughs> that is a little quieter and people can talk to each other and have some privacy because there was, I was initially scared thinking if everyone is having to move so fast all the time and scared to go to the bathroom, we can't do a show because yeah. our show is about you got in a fight with your your mother-in-law yesterday or your sister is annoying you and you're trying to figure out how to respond with your friend at work. If people are constantly moving, you can't do that. And so once you have this concept and you're, you've, you've got some research and you have a sense of Zoe's character at the center of it, what's your process for like peopling the rest of the show it's a great question i steal so much <laughs> from other pilots that i read i mean the, there are pilots i read every year before i'm writing pilots the friends pilot is one of them the news radio pilot is one um i know the 30 rock pilot pretty well having watched it a lot usually if there's something in this area i think around that time i'd also read uh, I read Silicon Valley for this one too. I think I also was really trying to figure out how Kim's convenience clicked that pilot. So I watched a lot of episodes of that, but so friends in news radio are like constantly every single time I write a pilot, I read those pilots first. Um, and I think there's a lot of correspondence from news radio <laughs> yeah. to this one. I mean, I almost always start, I go through a phase of like writing down the cast members and the roles of a pile of a show I love and trying to like figure out if there needs to be a one-to-one -one correspondence and then like crossing out people that I don't need, adding people that might be specific to this world. And it changes a tremendous amount, obviously, but I start by just stealing so much the first couple of days or weeks it's a good method because <laughs> I, I was just like why does it feel like i'm i'm inventing the wheel like each time you know like i wish there was a there was something we were like okay 
time for, for time for this pilot. Like I know the steps. I know I need this kind of character. I need that kind of character. You know, it, it's just I don't have a system like <laughs> to be systematic about. It. So it ends up just kind of you you, you stumble your way into yeah. oh I need this kind of dynamic. I I need this person who's all id and 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 I'm sure there's systems out there where people are like well here's what you you need the machine you need the animal you need the this you know like whatever these archetypes are I just don't have that thing but it seems like yeah news radio that's a pretty good <laughs> that's a pretty good template for a workplace show like I mean that show was incredible it was and, perfect pilot yeah yeah I mean and that's the thing is whenever you land on a show, like if you're going to write a workplace show and you know the sort of tone you like and shows that worked, there's not that many. <laughs> there's not that many to steal from. Like, and then, you know, everybody who writes a workplace show now will read The Office for sure. I definitely, I probably didn't even say that because it was so obvious that you need to read mm -hmm. The Office because it's the biggest workplace show of all time. But yeah, I wonder. The other thing is, I'm 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 realizing after I hear you say that, I've never gone through it the same way twice. Like every time, I'm like, "How do you come up with a pilot?" <laughs> and I think that's what leads me to stealing. But it's not. That's why I read different episodes or different shows every single time. I wish there was a system. I should just write it down afterwards. But by the time you know what you're gonna do, and you're like, you're like, I'll never have to deal with this again. Now I'm off to like, what's my pilot story? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm in the middle of of it now, and it's just kind of like, wait, how do you do? Like, how do I know? Like, with because once you 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 know it once you actually start writing dialogue and scenes, it becomes very you know clear. You're like, oh shoot, I don't have this point of view. I don't have this attitude or whatever. But when you're just in that, all these steps you have to do before you get to write a script, you know, or you have, you're doing these outlines and character things. It's not as obvious what you're going to be end up ending up missing. You know, yeah. when you're in this scene, you're just like, shoot, I wish I had the person who just had the like, fuck it attitude or whatever. You know, there's like an attitude that's missing. Um, but it's not like I have some list of like, okay, I need, I need all of these. I need a dumb person. I need this, you know, but um, yeah, it's a, a show like this where it's just, it's a workplace. It's con you know, there's like a concept, you've got a main character, but you could throw any, it feels like you could throw anybody in there, you know, to surround her. Yeah. Narrowing well, that down is, is so hard. I think I often, I'm very big on like, I don't remember who gave me this advice, but like having the theme up front and center and knowing it's a very open-ended question. Like, I don't remember who told me this, but I think about it all the time that someone told me that the pitch for friends, and you may tell me this was totally wrong, was that it's about a show about the time in your life where your family is your friends. Is that, was that true? Uh, I believe it's when your friends are your family. But yes. Oh yes, yes, yeah. When you're <laughs> yes, that is definitely true, and because it's something we would mockingly like say constantly. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the pitch. Like that is, <laughs> but that, I, that is the pitch. I yeah. it made me think like, oh, that's so good because it's so open ended. You can get three hundred episodes out of this, but everyone needs to fit into everyone needs to be described so that they fit in that into the framework of the show in that way. 
So I think I probably with this show, man, I wish I remember. I I think I remember thinking like the, the pitch of the, the premise of the office or the theme of the office is like, how do you possibly abide work when it's the most boring thing in the world? Basically, you know, <laughs> right? like how do we, how do we get through the day? And everyone kind of seems to stem from that, like guys who takes it too seriously. And I think this one was how, how do you get through it? and find community and meaning when you're like probably possibly doing something evil. It's <laughs> <Right>. actually <laughs> like, um, right. and how in this like very mechanized, like dehumanizing environment, do you hold on to your humanity? Yes. That's a better one. You should, I should have had you in this. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably like stole a bunch of characters and then started throwing away people I couldn't jam into that theme would be my guess of what I did. But I, even though it was last year, I don't remember how I did it. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a fun, you know, I I really like the, the uh, you know, the, the, the high horse, um, you know, character who's who's just trying to be so pure in there that everyone just like wants to avoid because you know they're going to get a lecture you know it just feels like that's a very um modern kind of workplace character that's not in the office it's not in no. news radio yeah. and i think i probably pitched that character out as oh, man I, I i had a comp for that character i think i said oh i think i said this was like Aubrey Plaza in Parks and Recreation, that young person energy. But but I said to me, that young person energy that no one knows what to do with now, that energy is different. And I think what I've experienced and seen the world is it comes out like this, and that ended up being the Shunker character. So I stole from I stole from Parks and Recreation too. <laughs> but everything ends up, you know, yeah, yeah. it's all it, everything starts out stolen, and everything starts out sort of like simplistic. And if given time, grows. I mean, if you read the Friends pilot all the time, you know, like when Phoebe and I, you know, I hate this moment. It's one of the few moments I don't like, which is like I'm cleansing your aura. It's like, oh, she's the new agey. Like it's an annoying, like stereotype thing. But like when you think about where writers and Lisa like took that character from that simplistic beginning, it's unbelievable. She's so not that you know by the end joey starts out just like lords of flatbush or something you know it's just like a you know like a leather vest wearing like goomba guy you know and where he goes so it's just like in a pilot it is helpful to go like okay this is the joke lane for this person like you can expect these kinds of jokes from this person you know they're horny they're dumb they're <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> drunk they're what you know and it's just like okay and then you can flesh it out, but it's hard to have a super three-dimensional character in a pilot. You just don't have the, a lot of time. Yeah. I what did LeBlanc bring that to Joey? Because I always remember thinking the genius of Joey seems to me that he's both that and every girl loves him still, too. Like he not not like in the show, like people watching the show love Joey. He's not he's both a bro and somehow your best friend right because he's not because there's he's very childlike you know he has just a very childlike sort of innocence to him like he's having sex with everyone and yet he maintains this like 
childlike wonder at things and you know he just he loves food and loves his friends so much like he's such a loyal friend and he's he's not really a bro like he's he's just like a sweet childlike guy which is why you forgive the like womanizing and he's you know you know very different womanizer from like Sam Malone, who's like a much more adult, like also likable, but you know, his he's like because his sort of conceited nature is ends up being kind of winning, but he's he's not childlike in the way like Joey is. And we were just, you know, he he just seems sweet and unthreatening. And um, but there's just moments in the pilot where I feel like he's he's this sort of Italian stereotype that he got away from quickly um but it's just like oh that's how he was thought of and then right. the nuance comes out because it was also you combine it with an actor who's bringing things to it right yeah. and like matt's bringing this sweetness and lovability i mean it's like you meet matt leblanc you, you can't not like him like you know he, he's just such a open warm lovable guy so it's just like okay fine he's you know he can have sex with like four different girls in a he day but we don't hate him for it <laughs> yeah i mean and then with even the italian stuff that you guys ended up keeping and doing you like turned it up just the right level like did he have nine sisters <laughs> yeah, yeah those it's those like, episodes yeah. were incredible so right. funny. it's like it's nice you can always bring in someone else it's like another sister there's like oh yeah there's yeah <laughs> you can bring it yeah and you know i think when you're doing a pilot too it's like sometimes you forget like oh it's nice to plant things like that that can, can keep paying dividends you know like yeah. that there's something or like oh this down the road but it's it's hard to you're so so much to think about just to get that one episode like written and any kind of decent totally. way you're like not thinking too much about series and so it's like we'll figure out the series if that well and it's also that funny that pilots become this or text where there's a joke that you put in because you're like sketching out a character and then partway through season one you're you think like and then he said this thing in the pilot so like now that's part of his character and you pull it out and you just think like that was a total accident <laughs> yeah. right but your staff is looking at this one you know trying to figure yeah. out what the show is all they have to go on is this one thing so they're going to analyze it and like make yeah yeah you're right like i don't know i needed a joke there i said this thing like seemed funny there was a guy funny. i went to college who did <laughs> yeah um, that's such an interesting point I never thought about the way Joey's masculinity is different from Sam Malone's because I remember the moment I locked into Sam Malone's in the Cheers pilot at one point or maybe it's the second episode no I think it's a pilot I think at one point Diane answers the phone and there's a woman looking for Sam and she just wants to pass along a message and she's just screaming into Sam about like how he's, I can't, the words are so important to this, but it's about how he's just like a dirtbag rogue, rogue who loves himself. And at the end of the pilot, when Diane decides to stay there, Sam knowingly looks at her and says, I think you're, you're, you're I figured so. And she said, oh, why? You think you know everything about every woman? something like that and then he's like no i think you just can't get the phrase womanizing rogue out of your head like he knows how, the words are so important but like he's so confidently masculine in a very different <laughs> shade i never yeah. thought about that before and they yeah. they got away both those actors are amazing they're just amazing they're just bring such like likability you know i mean ted dance you know on the page and that's what's frustrating sometimes is you're like, you could see getting notes like this Sam Malone character seems like just an asshole. Like, yeah. why would we like this guy? He's a dick. 
And you're just like, no, but when Ted Danson's saying these lines, it's going to be so different. Like you're going to experience it so differently. Uh, you know, an actor just like brings so much to it's funny you know bringing up baby was a movie that like for a while i didn't like that movie. i found it annoying i found cary grant annoying and his like nebbishy you know pretending not to be insanely handsome never, yeah yeah and then at a certain point i watched it like i mean it probably like third or fourth i kept people loved the movie so much and i loved you know i was always like no come on his girl friday you know lady eve preston sturge's movies are so much better like bringing up baby was the screwball comedy that i was just i couldn't get i couldn't and then finally there's fourth time or something it clicked for me i'm like this is unbelievable this is just so great and insane and just like the anarchic energy that Catherine hepburn like brings to it uh but that she's kind of in control of and i don't know there was something where i was just like okay I, I Cary Grant's no longer, you know, I love Cary Grant. I was like, he was no longer annoying me in that, yeah. in that role, but it's, it's just these things where it's just like you, it's, we're just expected to put it just words on a page just from that. You're, you're supposed to like imagine what it's going to be, but then like an actor comes in. Zoe Deschanel comes in. It's just like changes everything so much. Um, it's almost not fair because I sometimes think like we get to have fun and be silly and your job is to make it hum like a human being would possibly ever say, <laughs> say this right yeah <laughs> Jesus on 30 rock right those actors all had to like you have to make it sound like this these lines could come out of a human being's mouth like something so dense with jokes in, within like one line and yet those actors could just like could pull that off that was no. one of the amazing things about Tina and Alec is they can say anything. It was probably yeah. bad for me as a writer because I, you never you were like, yeah, you don't have to worry about it. They'll say it. They'll figure out how to make 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 four turns in the middle of one speech. <laughs> I know, so written. Like these things are so written, and yet like it works. Like those, you know, just magical actors can like make that work. You know, and yeah, Alec is just so. I mean. There's a line from one of his friends up who's like mitzvahs, both bar and bot. And it's the same one of those, you know, and uh, I think it was Scott Silveri who wrote the line. It's a, like, there's, it's a great little line, but like only like he can pull it off. He can just like make that work coming out of his message. <laughs> unnatural thing to yeah. say. And yet from him, it's just like, oh, that's, you know, it, it totally works. Um, I also love that you watched a movie you don't like four times and you could like it. That's such a great quality. There was just something about, I kept, you know, it's just always on these lists of like the greatest, I'm like, there's got to be something here. Like there's got to be something. And and there are definitely, I don't know, I, I feel like we have a lot of things. There's just like at different ages, you're just like not ready Mm -hmm. you know for certain movies and they just seem boring to you when you watch them in your teens or your 20s but like at a certain point like you know they click and you know maybe they're there's something more adults and you know it, so it's like with my your kids are younger i guess your kids are how old now your twins are eight. eight yeah yeah so it's just like you know you get to, or you want to show them some of these things and it's just like what's gonna work you know like i don't want to uh -huh. like i remember when i showed them his girl friday we watched a lot of movies over the pandemic you know that my kids were like 13 14 okay like, um and 
they did like i was just like i love his girl friday so much like are these you know and they did refer to it as that movie where that yelling movie where, <laughs> like, yeah, but, but they laughed when we were watching it like they were laughing you know yeah, it was just fact. like can't take back can't take back the laugh like you know i figure you plant those seeds and um it's not quite like zoe's you know zoe's dad like really feeding her a steady diet of screwball comedies yeah. but you know you I, just want to expose your kids to the good stuff i think i read his girl friday because when i first saw the pulp fiction script in like the first paragraph Tar quentin tarantino wrote like they they talk really fast uh like in his girl friday <laughs> and i was like oh okay why did he bother adding that part <laughs> girl friday like i understand what talk really fast means but there is a very certain kind of pace and velocity to the dialogue in that movie that's just um it's just incredible like, it's so energetic <laughs> yeah um so uh, how much did you like think like series wise when you you know with this with fulfillment like did you have do you have to write one of those things where like here's where it all goes i mean you obviously figure you know the pilot builds to the you know a really big physical moment you've got bird, you know birds being like yeah. eviscerated by a drone you've got you know like you you've got the pilot and like did you think that you were going to need to build to something that big each episode or how were you thinking about series I so I think I had story areas that I wanted to explore for sure and other in future episodes. But I remember thinking the biggest thing I wanted to do in this pilot was I wanted to like stake a lot of flags on things I could do comedy wise that wouldn't feel outside of the tone of the show. <laughs> um, and I knew one thing was that there was that big physical comedy bit, and I liked. I kind of liked it and there was questions about whether we needed it for the pilot, but I just thought like, I think I want to make a show that we can do this sometimes on. Like that's what's interesting for me in that moment in time. Like I wanted, I don't think we're going to do this every episode or even more, most episodes, but I tend to like, I find it satisfying when stories dovetail and if they can dovetail in a funny way, I think it's great. But sometimes on some shows, that would feel really written and weird. Like if an episode of, um, you know, Catastrophe did that, you might be like, that's not the show now. <laughs> you can't, you're not allowed to do this anymore. And I wanted, I wanted to uh, like establish a couple of things. I wanted to establish these cutaways. I wanted to establish we could sometimes do flashbacks. Obviously like there's a little bit of like pushed stacked joke dialogue that's a little dirty rocky in in that world that I wanted to establish. And there's a little bit of that, yeah, that big physical comedy bit that you would almost, I feel like sometimes you would do on multicams, but I think on sing on single cam, I thought like we can get away with a bigger, crazier bit because it doesn't have to be live. Right. And I thought yeah. that's something that it was kind of a combination of a lot of tones that I just been on and mod a combination of some of the like broader modern family episodes that I also had a lot of fun doing and like some of the more push things on 30 rock, but also I wanted to get real emotional, like love interest stuff that 
we had done some other Modern Family episodes and I wanted to, one thing I love from My Name is Earl, like you're talking about Joey, is that if you liked Jason Earl so much, in which I think we did that work of getting you to do so, like he, the stuff that he, the bad things he had done in his past, we could push to really far yeah. levels and the audience never got lost. Um, I wanted to put all of that stuff in this show, like the tricks I'd stolen from every show <laughs> that I loved. Did you ever think of any kind of device? I mean, it, it's a rare single camera show that's not, that doesn't have either voiceover or a mockumentary structure, you know, and you don't have either of those. You have, you know, you, you have these cuts to the like Amazon website and the products and you, you know, you, you have some flashbacks, but there's not like a device, like a narrator yeah. um, or a mockumentary thing. Like, did you consider doing either of those or was it a choice like i you know don't want to do either of those those things yeah i i think having just i'd been on modern family for several years which was mockumentary style so i think i wanted to step away from that and i also was seeing it a lot uh around that time so i think i think number one i thought i should try and differentiate it but then also I think I just wanted to do something different because I had just spent the last several years on mockumentary. But there was also one thing I was all I, I always noticed on shows, like we would start with that stuff and then we felt like we didn't need it as much and we could strip it away a little bit. And I think that made me wonder if we needed to start with it all. But I did do a version of it where the opening start the opening starts with a little bit of voiceover and it's a commercial for the company that they all work for and we don't have to go back to it and I do think I probably like a lot of pilots do this Mindy Kaling did it really well in the Mindy uh, Mindy Project okay. pilot where there is voiceover but then you you know you cut to the scene that it's coming from um, and you get away with it. And it's, it's not something that they use the rest of the series and you get a little bit of leeway on pilots that I decided to do that because you just, it's the beginnings of pilots are, are so hard. I, I, I don't know how your process of going through them is, but mine is very brutal. Yeah, no, the first scene I was, I mean, the first scene of a pilot is the hardest thing in all of writing. I feel like there's just nothing harder than that first scene yeah. and figuring out how you, you know, are you going to make that fun? Are you going to introduce characters efficient? I mean, it's just, there's so many things you have to do in that first scene. And that's why, you know, people end up doing all these same kinds of things. Like you start at the most heightened moment and then it's like two weeks earlier, you know, you just like the, the, those kind of tropes, which as writers were like, we're sick of all of them. And yet sometimes we do them because it's just <laughs> like, I got, I don't know what else to do. I don't know how to make this work and how to, you know, answer these notes. And, um, but yeah, yeah. it's just, I just noticed, you know, single camera is like, it, it's often that you see the shows that actually make it often have like one of these just handful of devices that they, that they, they end up using because it is hard to just like, make a show that's just kind of shot like a movie you know that where and have the jokes land and have it be clear i mean 30 rock did that but it also had such a specific tone 
that yeah. you can't really describe you know like now you can oh it's a 30 rock tone yeah but before that you know it's just like you couldn't have gotten that through if you weren't tina fey and robert like anyway it's uh and actually that pilot starts with just an, a character introduction of liz lemon she goes to buy a hot dog, hot dog. and she's getting an uh guff from the people behind her in line and she's acting like she's the only person who follows social mores so then she buys all of the hot dogs from the vendor making everyone mad at her behind her but she feels like righteous and it's not a plot point in the episode it's just a great (laughs) character intro and it's so good (laughs) yeah so all we need to do is come up with something as good as a 30 rock pilot (laughs) and we'll be fine (laughs) yeah um well this was so great like i feel like i could talk about writing pilots with you for hours and no hours. i could really like... do this until i die i could just be <laughs> that's so fun to talk about i know because we're all we're just constantly trying to figure out even you know even if you do it well a few times you're like the next time you're like how did i do that like, i don't know i don't know how how to do it um i'm excited about your new show craig's great and like you know that's like that's gonna be fun i'm just excited to see you like you're actually in an office like you're not on a zoom room you guys are like doing this old school in person being in person in a room it's my it's the best thing in the world it's my favorite sometimes i'm like i don't care if we even put this on tv i would rather be fine to just chop it up about anything with the comedy writers that are good a good comedy writer in a good comedy room great yeah that's great with hopefully some decent snacks and uh yeah well i'm i'm excited for you can't wait to see the finished product and uh i'm so glad we made this happen thank you so much thanks for having me thank you All right, I hope you enjoyed that. We will be back in 2024 with more great Dead Pilots. And don't forget that live show, ElysianTheater.com for tickets. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-producer, Ben Blacker, and our associate producer, Noah Findling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. If you like the show, please tell someone, tell a friend to check us out, and please leave us a review and follow us on social media. We're not hard to find. Until next time, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. Have a very happy new year. I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.